Amen. Let us proclaim the good news of Easter. Christ is risen. He is, he is risen, risen indeed. indeed. Alleluia. Good morning and welcome to Laguna Presbyterian Church as we gather here to worship the living God, to sing him our praises, to hear from his word and to grow in faith and fellowship. And in that spirit of fellowship, turn to your neighbor and welcome them here this morning. Let me direct your attention to some of the announcements here in our connections page. You'll see that after both services or after this service, our mission outreach committee will be accepting donations to purchase shoes for the children of Melissa Orphanage for Girls in Greece. And that will take place over in our courtyard or if it's raining over in Tankersley Hall this morning and next Sunday. You can also sign up for the Red Cross Blood Drive at the courtyard today. The blood drive will take place at Tankersley Hall on Wednesday from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. You'll notice they also need volunteers who can help out throughout the day. And any questions you have, you can direct to Sandy Grimm, who's sitting right there. Great. A new Bible study for women is starting on May 17th. Third Friday that I notice is having a great program coming up here is approaching on May 19th. And Family Fun Night will be on the 20th. That's a Saturday night. You'll see that sign-ups for Vacation Bible School and Club H2O Surf Camp are live. You can register online or go up to the main office and Leah will help you out there. Next week, of course, is Mother's Day. If you haven't bought a card yet, you might want to buy a card. I've got to buy one of those, of course. And both services, the deacons will be providing strawberries and cream. Sounds like a rock band from the 70s. A hot chocolate and a coffee at our Rose Garden. So it's something that you don't want to miss next week. And I hear I'm preaching next week, so I better start working on that soon. Uh, Jerry and Kathy and many of our members are in Israel for this last week and next week. They're having a great time. I see a lot of pictures being posted online, so keep them in your prayers. And our chancel flowers today are to recognize Nancy Baird's birthday, so happy birthday to Nancy Baird. All right. Beth, will you come up and pray for us? Thank you. You're welcome. So, yeah, you, many of you only see me here during the summertime, so it's not August. Um, it's actually, what is it, May something, May 7th? It May 7th. Um, so Steve and I, are we get to preach the next, this Sunday, and next Sunday is pretty fun. So we're glad that you're here this morning. You braved the weather, unusual May rain, and here we are to worship the Lord. So let's pray together. Almighty God, as we prepare to worship today, we ask that you will stretch our imaginations to sense the majesty and mystery of your ascension and reign. Help us perceive how Jesus is present in heaven and how his presence there can give us confidence in our praying and our hope for the future. Come Holy Spirit, empower us to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom and empower our witness in this hour, we ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is awesome, a great king over all the earth. The Lord is king. He is robed in majesty. The Lord is robed. He is girded with strength. He has established the world. It shall never be moved. Jesus ascended in triumph to his heavenly throne. There, he hears our prayers, pleads our cause before the Father, and rules the world. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them sang, to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Let us stand and worship the living God.
hear our call to confession. You have heard what was written about Jesus in Scripture, how he would suffer and die and then rise from the dead on the third day, how through his death and resurrection, the forgiveness of sin is now possible for all who repent. So let us boldly approach the throne of God where we will find grace and mercy. Please join me for our prayer of confession. We come, O Lord, on this day of glory to confess our lack of trust. While we sing of your lordship over all creation, we have too often acted as though you are powerless in the face of today's events. Help us to live with confidence in your presence today and in hope for life with you forever. Let us now take a minute for personal silent confession. Hear the good news. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ blesses us and calls us kingdom people. In the name of the reigning Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen.
That's it. That's basically the sermon, and now we can go in peace. And if you think I'm kidding, I'm not really. Thank you, choir. Wow. I also want to thank Dawn and the, the praise team. Can you guys clap, clap and just give thanks to God for them? Well, first let me pray for us and we'll read, read the word. Oh Lord God, you have declared that your kingdom is among us and by your spirit you are at work among us. Open our eyes to see your kingdom, our ears to hear your voice in it, our hearts to hold it and our hands to serve it. This we pray in the name of the one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Acts chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 through 12. And if you'll open up your pew Bible, and I'll ask that you keep it open during the sermon um, as we look at it together. It's on page 118 in the New Testament portion of the pew Bible. And while you're looking for that, I just want to mention that we're beginning a new series this morning in the book of Acts. And in Jerry's sermon last week, he asked the question, what's next? And this is the answer to that question. And we, church, are the answer to that question. One commentator notes that as we read Acts, it's as if we've been dropped into the middle of a story. So if you read Luke and then you read Acts together, it's clear that the incarnation of Jesus Christ continues through his body, you, us, the church. So hear this portion of God's story as it is written in the book that we love. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day that he was taken up to heaven. After having given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. He said, this is what you heard from me. For John will baptize with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he replied to them, It is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had said this, and as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, how would you have liked to have been Theophilus and to have received a letter like this from Luke? And this is not your first letter. No, it's, it's your second letter. And these two letters, in these two letters, Luke is sharing for Theophilus the most detailed story about Jesus that he can possibly write. It's a story that is far bigger than Theophilus could ever hope or imagine. And I wonder what Theophilus, which means friend or lover of God, Theophilo, I wonder what he thought. And I also wonder 
what became of his life. I have a feeling that Theophilus may have felt that this story about Jesus of Nazareth, as Luke was telling it to him, was unfolding in, in a way that he had never expected. Can you recall a time in your life when God was at work in ways that you never thought or imagined possible? A time when maybe it was by accident or maybe it was a path that you'd planned out, but suddenly you found yourself enfolded into a story that was far deeper and far richer than you could have ever imagined for yourself, where you saw that God was able to do far more than you had asked. Maybe it was a time of struggle over a job. Maybe it was a time of questioning where you were going to go to college or your education. And maybe it was a time of retirement. What next? Maybe it was a time of personal struggle, a time of illness, or perhaps a time of great loss. You know, I'm talking about those seasons, those happenings and events in our life that change and reshape the entire course of our life and who we understand ourselves to be and who we understand who God is. Those times when we see that God is at work in ways that we hadn't imagined he could be at work, bringing life. That's why I love that song, Beautiful Things. Because God is causing a garden to flourish in ground that you thought was fallow ground. I don't know about you, but personally I've had those things happening and have happened in my life where I thought I was at a dead end and I saw God at work bringing new life. Well, some of you, it made me think of uh, how, to, how to get inside this text a little bit. It made me think of the fact that some of you know I love the weather. And I'm really excited that it rained this morning. And uh, some of you know I've been posting on Facebook the past two years of the coming El Nino event. And you can laugh, that's fine. Um, I don't know about you, but I just was over the drought, really. I was done with the brown. I was done with the 105 degree days. I, I was done with it all. And actually, I was kind of getting depressed. I was thinking, well, maybe I'll move to Alaska. I was kind of looking at Google Earth, you know. It's like, where is it still green? How far up do I need to go? So when the El Nino was forecasted, man, I was really excited. And so I started posting maps of incoming storms. I even posted sandbag warnings earlier than the city did. And soon, Ray Martin, our facilities manager, he started texting me for detailed information on the intensity of the rainfall and, and timelines. And man, I was really into it. It was a lot of fun. But then about a month ago, I don't know if you noticed it, I'm sure you did, but everything started to change. The landscape exploded with greens and yellows and oranges and purples and pinks and wow in fact the colors were so explosive and the green was so vast that nasa took a picture of california from space and they called it a super bloom it was a once in a lifetime event caused from a drought more severe than we've had in over 450 years. The CHP in Temecula, I was told, were giving tickets and warnings to people who were pulling off the freeway to take their family photos amongst the wildflowers. Okay, perhaps some of you did that and you posted them on Facebook, but it's dangerous. Now, if you would have asked me, can a garden come up from this ground? I, my imagination would have fallen so far short of a super bloom, I can't even tell you. And somehow I have a feeling that Theophilus, as he's reading this letter from Luke, is feeling the same way. Wow, this is way bigger than I imagined. Who saw that coming? Not me. 
There's a, a Presbyterian pastor who has a, a commentary series called the Interpretation Bible Series, Charles Williamson, and he does a study on Acts. And he has four questions that I think are really helpful for examining and entering into a passage of Scripture. And if you're leading a Bible study or you're preparing to lead one or you're preparing to preach, I think these questions are really helpful. So here they are. If this passage were omitted from the Bible, what would we be missing? Second, what did this passage mean for Theophilus and those first century Christians? And his third and fourth questions I'm going to put together. Here's the third. What does it mean for us? And how does it address the needs and concerns of the church in our time? So I want us to look at this passage this morning with these questions as guides to entering into God's word. So let's look at that. Page 118, if you're still there. Oh, I love that sound. It's a great sound. If Acts 1 through 12 were omitted, what would we be missing? Well, just a cursory look, and we've read it, tells us that Luke is painting for Theophilus the big picture. He reminds him what he's already written in his previous book, known to us now as the Gospel according to Luke. You might see Acts 1 through 12 as the author's foreword. Luke ends his Gospel in almost the exact same way that he begins this letter. But he adds an interesting fact, that Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days. Notice the heading on your Bible says, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And the second heading, the ascension of Jesus. Wow, well those are two pretty important things, wouldn't you think? The promise of the Holy Spirit and the ascension of Jesus. Now I wonder if Luke was afraid that Theophilus may have thought the story had somehow ended. Now Luke wants him to know that the story continues. In that first book, he says, Theophilus, I wrote to you about everything that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day he was taken up into heaven, giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Instructions. The apostles are given a new orientation, a new direction for their lives. And what is it? To witness. Witness in Greek is martus. It's where we get the word martyr. But in the Greek, it means eyewitness. Luke ends his gospel telling Theophilus that Jesus Christ, yes, the same one who suffered and who died, rose from the grave, was with the disciples in bodily form. He was walking with them, serving meals. We heard last week even catching, you know, commanding fish to jump into nets baking bread. He was able to move through time and space, but he was teaching them about one thing, the kingdom of God. Luke in his gospel says that he opened their minds to understand that everything written about the Messiah in the Old Testament was fulfilled in him. And that they are to go now and proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sin in Jesus' name to every single person on the planet. Or in other words, all nations. And Jesus promises them that the same spirit that's in him, think about this, will soon be in them. Sit with that for a minute. The same spirit that was in Jesus is going to be in you. But for that to happen, he must first ascend and they must wait. Waiting with hope and expectation. For everything that Luke tells Theophilus in this part of the letter, 1 through 12, is foundational for everything that happens after. It explains how this ragtag, motley group of 11 
soon to be 12, proclaim a message about Jesus in such a way that it turned the world upside down. Jesus leaves them, yes, but the Holy Spirit is to come and baptize them. Now, the moment Jesus finishes telling them to wait and to receive the Holy Spirit and to witness, he's lifted up in a cloud, gone from their sight. Jesus ascends bodily into heaven. And two men in white robes, a.k.a. angels, tell us that Jesus is coming again. We're not told when because it's not for you and I, it's not for them to know the times and the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. It's our responsibility to go and witness. The ascension of Jesus, that's not something that we talk about very much. It's not a celebration that happens on a Sunday because the ascension happened on a Thursday. Ten days later is Pentecost. But it's something we sing about a lot. And we sang about it a lot this morning. Crown him with many crowns, the lamb upon his throne. Agnus Dei, alleluia, alleluia, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive honor and power and glory and blessing and praise forever and ever. Paul in Ephesians tells us that Christ who is raised from the dead is now seated at the right hand of the Father so that we chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world. That's beyond my imagination. To be holy and blameless before him in love are now God's adopted children through Christ, living to the praise of God's glory. And we who have received the gospel of our salvation through belief in Christ, we are now sealed through baptism with the Holy Spirit. God's pledge to us of an inheritance yet to come to the praise of God's glory. So while we have received the Spirit, we too are waiting. What are we waiting for? An inheritance that is yet to come. We live in the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. What are we to be doing? Witnessing. To what? God's saving acts. Salvation. God's pledge to us an inheritance yet to come. If Acts 1 through 12 were omitted, needless to say, we would be missing an important theological truth that Christ is now seated on the throne he is ascended and ruling at the right hand of the Father. Let's look at the second question. What might this have meant for Theophilus and that first century church? Well, we don't really know what happened to Theophilus. We don't know how he responded. We only know him by name. And so here we'd have to use our imaginations. And I'm thankful for this one pastor who tried to do just that, and he writes for us a fictional letter from Theophilus back to Luke. And I have it here this morning. I thought it would be fun to do that. Pull it out. My dear Luke, thank you for your first book about Jesus. As you can guess, I was most intrigued to hear you were writing a second volume and had been looking forward to it with expectation. I did wonder how this wonderful story could continue after resurrection. And so on receiving your second volume, I was keen to start reading it straight away. In your first book, you kept me gripped with a story full of wonder and grace, of healing and miraculous events. But more than anything, it was Jesus who fascinated me, a miracle worker, yet whose miracles seemed incidental to his purpose in life, which was to offer and show us how to live life fully given over to the love of God. 
I was fascinated, therefore, with the details you gave of the resurrection and the sightings of him after those mysterious events at the empty tomb. And to imagine all that you say is true makes it even more of a tale of wonder and grace. Imagine, then, what it was like to open your second volume and read straight away the story of Jesus' departure from among us. My heart skipped a beat as I imagined in my mind his ascension. Such a difficult thing to imagine. I can't tell if you're offering a symbolic story here or outlining the facts. Either way, I imagine you are saying that it is what is left in his place that is important. And the implication of the two men who show up just as the disciples stare into space as if longing for Jesus to be with them is beautifully and subtly made. Though I have to confess, I can imagine how they felt, those poor disciples, having been through so much. So far, I have but read the first page, and I'm looking forward to hearing how this tale will grow. But I imagine that they will discover that they have been left with more than they can imagine. A confidence? I am sure. A hope? I am certain. But if everything I have read so far is true, and I do not doubt you one bit, Luke, my friend, then there will be love. A love that has seen all things, even death, being defeated. And in that spirit and truth. I dare not even imagine what might yet happen to this new movement. Jesus is gone, but it seems he is more alive now than ever before. Thank you for encouraging my faith with your own. I am beginning to trust this adventure called The Way. Your friend, Theophilus. I like that. I think he got it. Jesus may be gone, but he seems more alive and present now than ever before. Well, what might Acts 1 through 12 have meant for those first century Christians? We don't have to use our imaginations for this because Luke is going to tell the story in Acts. He's going to tell how they were charged with proclaiming the kingdom of God, not by their own strength or how they thought it should look, but rather by the very power of the Holy Spirit that birthed the church on Pentecost. I love that one commentator understands this as the connection of the mission of God's people with what Jesus is doing, Jesus' mission, is explicit in the very first lines of Acts. In Acts, Luke is going to write about all that Jesus continues to do and teach by the Spirit through his chosen community. Mission is a work of God, Jesus working by the Spirit. His people are taken up into that mission they prolong the mission that Jesus began. And continuing the mission of Jesus is not just one more task that the community is given. Rather, it defines its very identity and its function and God's salvation story that is ongoing. Which brings me to the third and fourth questions. What does it mean for us? What does it mean for the church today? Paul in Ephesians helps us understand what church is. He writes, Church, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are now citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. And in Christ, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. Wow. The mission the apostles were given is the same mission we're given. We are called to witness to this new reality because of our new identity in Christ. And please, understand this assignment is not just one more assignment added to an otherwise busy schedule and full agenda of the, for the people of God. 
Witness is not just one more task among others. Witness defines the role of this community in this time of God's story being told in our generation. It defines our very identity and our purpose. It's more than just your individual identity. It's our identity. As the church chosen by God, called in Christ, in Christ, through Christ, to bear and follow Christ into the world. There's always been one mission in the Old Testament and New Testament, and that is to witness to the salvation, the saving acts of God. The mission of the church, brothers and sisters, is God's mission. We are invited into the partnership with God. His agenda is to be our agenda. We are to be heralds of the good news of the kingdom, or living letters, as Paul says. The mission of sharing God's love is how God is at work in the world. Yes, through the church and all of our divisions and all of our failings and all of our weakness. The church is still the body of Christ. In what ways is God at work in the church? In what ways is God at work in your life? In Christ, you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Father is that those spiritual gifts are given to every single one of us. It's not dependent on your age, your socioeconomic status, your race, or your gender. But the gifts are given for the building up of the body of Christ. How is God at work? Through this church. So church, in this Easter season, in these 50 days, let the church be filled with songs of joy. Let the people of God rejoice. Let us speak to each other words of assurance and hope because the one who has promised is faithful. Let us be about the work of the kingdom, binding up the brokenhearted, sharing the good news of forgiveness of sins, living by the grace of God. Let us have eyes to see that God is making all things new that God is able to bring up an amazing garden from any kind of ground. You who are called friend of God, let us together be about his work. Let us do justice. Let us love kindness and mercy and church. Let us walk humbly with our God. Amen? Let us pray. Oh, Father, help us to be your church. Help us to know what it is that we are proclaiming. Give us a sense that you are with us and that, God, you call us in to partnership with you that we do not do mission on our own strength, but we do it with the strength that you give by your Spirit at work. Thank you for the gifts of the Spirit. Lord, I pray that for our church here, Laguna Presbyterian Church, that you would equip us for ministry here in this time and in place with all the needs that are here in Laguna and beyond. Give us faith to walk beyond that which we can see, Give us a hope and a confidence that you are doing a new thing and it's already begun with the resurrection and your ascension and the promised spirit which we have received. We ask all of this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand as we affirm our faith together from Ephesians 2.
Let us declare our faith in the resurrection and the reign of Christ. By his mighty power, God raised from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ and seated him at his right hand in heaven, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything, everywhere and always. Amen. You may be seated as we present to the Lord our tithes and offerings to be used to build his kingdom. God of life, our Father, by the resurrection of your Son, Jesus, you overcame the old order of sin and death 
to make all things new in him. Lord Jesus Christ, mediator and high priest, we thank you for becoming human and for experiencing the joys and sorrows of life, which assures us that you are able to sympathize and rejoice with us. We thank you for the many joys of life, for the beauty of creation, for your work in this world, for the growth of your kingdom, for the greatest source of our happiness, eternal life with you. As our mediator, you stand before God, petitioning him on our behalf. So we boldly bring before you our prayers for creation and its care, the nations of the world, our nation and its leaders, this community and those in authority, the local church, our local church, Laguna Presbyterian Church and its ministry, and persons with particular needs. We pray this in your strong name, O Christ, our mediator and high priest, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Ever singing, March We Onward. Church, will you join in the charge and blessing as it's printed here in the bulletin? As a people of faith, we have gathered for worship. As people of faith, we are called to follow Christ into the world. Go out and share the story of faith and the story of life with the world around you. We will share this faith in word and in deed, in speech and in action. And as you go out to give a living witness, as you go out to testify to God's love active in the world, go knowing that God goes with you, sharing the laughter and the hope, the fears and the tears. May the Lord bless you and keep you until we meet again. Amen. <laughs>